and I think we're live on Facebook. All right. Well, we didn't promote this too much today, but we are thrilled to be here with the Women Who Make Us Wine Show. I have a little coffee in my wine glass today. Um, it is Saturday morning, May 1st. Happy May. And this is our bi-monthly podcast video series that shines a light on the women who put the magic into our glasses. Not the coffee, but the vino. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer of the show and founder of Incandescent Radio and Incandescent TV. Today with my co here with my co-host Jim Morris, the wine guy of Napa and Sonoma County. And we are more than thrilled to introduce you to Allison Duran. In fact, so Allison, I don't know if you know this, but you were the reason that we started this show. You are a veteran wine industry winemaker and one of the first female winemakers in California. You have more than three decades of winemaking experience and got your start in 1973. But when I was visiting Jim at Charles Krug Winery, I picked this up and I thought, huh. And I have been carrying this bookmark around with me for years in a Bible of mine. It's called Practical Kabbalah, which is ancient Jewish mysticism. And I love it and wisdom. And oh so you have just come with me through my travels for years until I finally landed in New Mexico. So thank you for being here. Thank you for inspiring me. And Jim, I know you and Allison have a long history. So I'm going to turn the first questions over to you. Well, it's it's a thrill to be back with our bi-monthly podcast here, and and I have we've talked about having Allison on since the very beginning of this. This is, I believe, our sixth episode now, and so in Allison and I, and, and she's been making wine a little bit more than thirty years. So I think she she's she's got probably you are you close to having you know, 40 plus years or what? Yeah, I think I'm at 47 or 48 this year, depending. I think I, I missed one crush, but other than that, yeah, from uh, yeah, 70, no, yeah. 73 on, I think I missed 74 because I was still at Davis. Yeah, so, and, and I've known Allison uh, um, and her husband, Mark, and their two boys um, since, well, the, or the kids met in not in kindergarten at Alexander Valley School a couple of years ago, and uh, and Allison's family, um, her dad Russ, uh, is like, uh, and her her mother BJ are two of the most iconic, wonderful people in the world. Russ passed recently, and and BJ, God bless her, is you know uh, just one of these loving souls that just was such a wonderful part of this valley and. You kind of carry that legacy on, but to, to tell us if you would just, you know, kind of your wine journey starting in 73 and, and even before that, when your dad bought the ranch out there. Okay, yeah, I'll try, try and keep this brief because we only have half an hour, right? <laughs> but yeah, no, he, we were down in Southern California. My dad was in the oil business, but his family had had uh, cottages on the Russian River since the turn of the century in 1900. So canoes. And one day, the, Dad was reading the Wall Street Journal, and he realized uh, that the ranch that had the best swimming hole on the Russian River had just come on the market. So we ran up and took a look at it and um, figured out a way to buy it. And it was only about um, 100 acres back then, and no they'd been running sheep on it but we'd go up for you know summer vacations and thanksgiving but our caretaker said you know if you don't put something out here i'm going to get bored and and leave so you you have a choice of prunes or grapes 
And dad said, well, I'll talk to some friends. And they all said, well, like the Wenties and some of his other friends. And they all said, oh yeah, grapes. Alexander Valley should be a great place for putting in grapes. And so he put in basically the first wine grapes since prohibition and, um, and then hired some really good people like uh, Ivan Schock and Dale Good to run the ranch. And the Wetzels came in with us in um, 67, I think, or somewhere right in there. And they bought the store ranch and we started joint venture farming. And, and um, so now we've got a really nice, beautiful vineyard, you know, family vineyard. And the Wetzels started, of course, Alexander Valley Vineyards. And then about in 07, we started our little project to make you know really beautiful wine off the family cab vineyard that my brother put in up on the hill here and um, I started working for the Firestone Vineyard in 1976 because Andrei Chelichev had been hired by my dad to help consult at the Simi winery. Um, my dad actually hired we believe the first woman winemaker outside a family who was Marianne Graff and she had all the degrees but she had not made fine wine and she'd made some really, she'd been in the valley and made those types of wines. And so um, when my dad hired her, then she said, well, I need a consultant. And everybody said, well, try and hire Andre Chelichev because he's the, he's the best there is. So my dad went down to visit Andre Chelichev at BV. And he said, well, you know, I realize Hugh Blind just bought this place and they're going to be coming in here and, and um, things might be not the same anymore. So if you want a fun project to help us with, you know, come on out. And about three months later, Andre's not, a, he just not give up on things. So it took him a while to decide to do this. But luckily it was before Crush in uh, 73. And then they decided that it would be good for me to kind of drop out of Davis for a quarter and work with them. So, you know, Allison, I'm going to jump in really quick because one of the things that it, it's always fun to learn more about. Tell us a little bit brief, or a little bit of background of, of Andre and and then about his like his mentorship. Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, Andre, Andre was um, he really believed that winemaking was like a, had three main um, facets to it, and one of course was the grape growing, which he was insistent that winemakers put their two feet out in the soil and see what was going on out there. And then also sanitation and lab analysis. And then third was to have a program of um, experimenting and investing and trying new stuff. So he was just a, a wonderful mentor because all those things are really important to me all the way down to today. You know, I, did, I was just, before I got on, I was just, you know, I'm always curious about my, latest numbers. So I was just printing off my latest numbers, you know, to write down from the rackings yesterday. Um, I love getting a new fresh analysis sheets and really get a picture of what's going on. And of course, sanitation. I think one of my, when we, when Andre and I would go around on top of the tanks during fermentation, I would carry a bucket, you know, with, with cotton and um, a wet rag and a thief and a glass and gosh, there's probably like, oh, a set, couple of sample bottles, um, thief and we'd go around and at that time, see me, the tanks were these tall uh, oak and redwood tanks that were only about two and a half, three feet from the ceiling and they were like 14 feet off the ground. And so 
Oh, probably not that much, but it seemed like a long ways. And you had to scramble across the top of these tanks and uh, find the bunghole in the corner and then, you know, clean it off nicely and then take a sample for Andre. And he would look at it with his flashlight and then smell it to be able to tell what kind of um, activity was going on in there. And then he'd listen to it to see whether it was bacteria or yeast. And, and then finally he'd taste it and he'd write little things in his notebook about what that also, you know, was a, and then we put everything back in the bucket, clean it all up, put a new layer of cotton around the bung, put it back in there, you know, before we had fermentation bungs or anything. And then we climb off, scramble, climb off to the next tank. And we'd do this for like 25, 26 tanks, whatever it took. And um, so it was, it was quite the experience when I finished up with that, I had more questions than answers. So I went back to Davis and changed my major from animal science to uh, fermentation science. And, and it, that, I was hooked. That was the hooking moment. <laughs> well, it wasn't a moment. It was a couple of months <laughs> where I realized I actually could do that. I, could do, I may not be the, the executive. You know, I may not run the company one day, but I could, I could do the winemaking stuff. It was very interesting. From your time with Andre at at Simi, um, and then on to Firestone. Um, tell us about some of the projects that you've done, you know, since, especially up here in Napa and Sonoma Camp. Well, I, I should also say, anybody who doesn't know about Andre, he was, he was born around the turn of the 19th century, and his father was a uh, Supreme Court uh, judge, and during the revolution, of course, they all had to run for the, run for the countryside, and Andre had to jump on the top of trains and sell the family silver and get beat up. And then he, you know, he had to go back. He decided to join the white army and, and went back down to the Crimea. And it was just, it was just quite, the, he drove, he, he drove laundry wagons for the, in Turkey. And I, I mean, he just really had quite the, you know, long and prolonged experience trying to get out of Russia. And then finally, by the time the war ended, he went to Paris and went to school at the Institut de Pasteur in Paris, and in and he learned a lot about all kinds of things. He was trying to, you know, get a good agronomy degree, but one of the things he always understood and loved chickens and what made chickens tick. So I know one time I had a problem with my chicken, but I didn't really know it. And he was walking into my house, and he said, after we got into the house and we're going to have dinner, he said, "You know your chicken." has a sour crop. And I go, no, I didn't. And he goes, yes, it is well known. The chicken goes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and I said, oh, oh, yes, it is doing that. And he says, yes, sour crop. Turn the chicken upside down, milk all the stuff out of the crop, feed it nothing but melon and cream of wheat for a week, and it will be fine. <laughs> so I had to keep the chicken in the bathroom, you know, for like a week while I did all that. But sure enough, <laughs> but that's just terrible. an idea. You know, just one thing about Andre, who just knew so much about everything. He was just an incredible person, always curious, always observant. You could get him to go anywhere by saying, you know, I think the soil over in this area is just a little different than that. He'd be like, boom, he'd be out there. <laughs> well, one, one of the, and Hope had a question she was going to ask you, but there was one question, I, a story that I heard about him that I always just found so fascinating is that he was he was a chain smoker and that when he stopped smoking that it totally changed his palate and it kind of wrecked his palate is that true or is that 
part of a, a, a folk tale that I, or, and then he then he picked smoking back up again. Well, you know, it's true. When he he had caught flu or something at an early age and only had one lung to start with since about age nine, and he'd also been smoking since about that same time. And um, when he got really sick one time, he uh, gave up smoking. And what he lost was his perspective. You know, he lost that long experiential perspective that was built around cigarette smoke. And so he could still taste, but it just didn't relate to what he knew from the past. And so he didn't, it, it, was, it was a very, um, you know, out of body experience for him. And what he would, what he did after that is he'd have like one cigarette in the morning just to get set. And then one maybe, you know, in the evening, but he, but he did pretty much give up smoking. He just, he just had that one cigarette with the guys out behind the dumpster. You know, he'd come up down to Firestone and all the guys, would, he'd go back out there, join the guys having a cigarette out behind the dumpster. So it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was one of his many things that he did to be able to connect with people, you know, on, on that sort of personal level. Oh, was, he was, he was just wonderful. And Dorothy would, of course, always ask, oh, how's the baby doing? And to everybody. And so they, everybody just loved to see them come. And they were just really generous spirited people. It was, it was and that, you know, when, when I, um, when my dad bought the Simi winery in Healdsburg in 69 and our family moved up in 71, but I went off to Davis. So I hadn't really lived in Healdsburg much, but, um, in, I only worked there at, at Simi for maybe five months. And then by the next, by fall of um, 74, my dad sold the place to uh, Scottish in Newcastle. And in 75, I went to Alsace and worked in Crush and stuff there. Then I went to Hoffman Mountain Ranch and worked there. And then I was gonna go back to Davis in the fall and finish off my degree with a few courses that I still needed. And that's when Andre came and I was uh, sitting on my mom's dock trying to sun myself and read Vogue magazine. And he came up and kicked me in the side and said, what a waste, what a waste. I have a job for you. <laughs> me a couple <laughs> more times. And so I got up. <laughs> he said, you will go down, drive down to Firestone Vineyard. I have a job for you down there. So I started in just before harvest in 76 and stayed until um, 2000, the year 2000. It was just a wonderful family experience. And, I did fox hunting and learned to play polo and sang in the church choir, you know, did team pinning, all that sort of thing that, that you know, a great, you know, ranch in Santa, in um, San Inez Valley would have to offer. It was, it was a, just a fabulous, fabulous experience. And we had the biggest vineyard. So we got to do all these experiments and, and uh, learn so much West. about it. It was great. It was, just That's loved like it. It's like Camelot West Coast version. Yeah, no, it's great. And plus, I married my cellar master. That is makes it even more like like Camelot. <laughs> I mean, Mark Mark was my cellar master, and um, I'd known him for like seven years before the light went on, you know. And then, and uh, so I married my cellar master, and I had my first two babies, you know, my first two kids down there with midwives at my own house, and and uh, went back to work within a couple of days, you know, because it's you know that's the kind of job it is, and Mark took care of the kids and brought the baby over to nurse and, and all, thank goodness for the Firestones because they all thought this was probably just normal, you know. <laughs> it was the only way to have kids. It was, it was, because uh, it's such a, 
the whole job is is so you know it takes so much time and energy and thought that um you know I never thought I'd ever have kids because how would I manage that but luckily it all worked out <laughs> that's amazing you're amazing and it's wonderful to hear the history there's so much to wine because it's you know, history, it's agriculture, it's how America evolved. But tell us a little bit about your experience as a woman in the wine business. Has it been different, do you think? I mean, obviously there's not as many women as men in the business, but just give us a little, you know, perspective on that. <laughs> well, I think I had a, a fairly unique perspective. I grew up with ponies and then horses and pony club. And, and um, I was a first born kid and I was determined you know to set a good example for my sister and my family and and so you know my saddle was always clean and my horse was always well groomed and I I did pretty well and I jumped and I did dressage and all that sort of thing but you also have a lot of work you know you're slamming you know putting corrals together and cleaning out horse manure and shoveling and and you know all that stuff that you might moving hay all that stuff you might not want to, you know, I mean, you have to really love horses to do all that. And my, my parents were like, well, if you don't want to do it, we don't want to have your horses. So we showed Morgans and hunter jumpers and it was it. So I was all set up for when I had to, you know, in the small fine print of my contract at Firestone, I was supposed to be uh, playing polo and, and going in the fox hunt. So that was just another piece. Of <laughs> but because of that, you know, I knew what I could do. I was a big, strong girl, and um, I could lift all kinds of stuff. I could shovel well. I could get that last grape off the ground. So as a woman, I went in there knowing that I wasn't going to be treated quite the same as a guy, but that I was going to work harder and, and make sure it all got done and, and that they would not regret having hired a woman. That was what was important to me. So I didn't whine. I really got in there and... Um, you know, tried to be comfortable with the guys, and and uh, I learned to swear a little bit because I never had, and <laughs> things like that. That you know, so that I wouldn't make anybody feel like I was too good for them or whatever. And um, so then I just, you know, working with my family and their business, and with Andre, you know, gave me the lines on my resume so that when I went to work for the Firestones, you know, I started out in the lab as all girls do, and then um, and then moved into the cellar on weekends when I could get a chance. And I remember when I first got to run the must pump all my, my I mean, the uh, pump over must pump all by myself, you know, because nobody else wanted to come in that day. And I'm like, I'll do it, I'll do it. So, you, you know, you tie everything down and turn on the pump and listen for the, the stuff to hit the tank in the top of the room stairs and then, over the tank and then and then run back down the stairs and throw it in reverse and then you know and then turn it off move to the next tank it, it just the first I still gives me goosebumps I mean the first time I was all by myself running of course they wouldn't let you do that now be all by yourself in a winery but but it was you know it was just moving down the line and and not spilling anything and getting all the tanks pumped over and all that I, I okay I that was really an exciting thing and then from then on nobody was afraid to have me do anything. I did all the topping. I did all the lab work. I did that. I started running the bottling line because the um, the winemaker liked to go out to lunch and not come back. And so, and then the cellar master uh, got hired to go up to Schramsburg. And so in, what was it, 1981, when uh, Tony Austin and Brooks decided to part ways, then um, 
I was pretty much the only person working there. And it was like two weeks before harvest. And uh, <laughs> Brooks is going, well, 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 can you do this? Can you do this? And I said, well, yeah, I can run the lab. I can run the bottling line. I can run the, you know, I've been the cellar master basically for two years and I keep all the records and, and uh, I can't do it all by myself. You know, I have to hire a couple of people, but, um, but that's, you know, that's, that's, yeah, I can do that. I'm the most qualified person, frankly. And then, so he went in, next thing he did, Brooks went over and asked my mother, you know, <laughs> well, of course she's very, she's very prejudiced. She thinks I can do anything. So yes, that was, a, the, so on I came, but, um, you know, we kept Andre Chelichev for sure. I got to work with Andre for about 14 years. And, um, and the last time I saw Andre was the day before he died. And, and they hadn't been able to um, come to my wedding because he was sick. But I told him, I said, Andre, Andre, we're going to have babies. We're going to have babies. This is all oh, the bambinos. Bambinos. Well, you know, it's not so easy. The husband, the job, the bambinos. Not so easy. He's always trying to get you to see all the sides of a problem. He was so he was just an amazing man, and and uh, but he had all his marbles right up until the end. He was he was always giving him good advice, you know. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was just he was just a really incredible person in my life. Um, Napa, you know, in in two thousand, because my parents were, you know, they're in their late seventies, had some ill health issues, and I thought it was time to move up here because my kids were one and four and. I could get started again. So try and get up to Napa and Sonoma and make some great wine up here. I've had, I've had the great privilege of hearing a lot of these stories from you over, you know, the 20 plus years we've known each other. And yeah, it, and it is fun every time I hear them or hear new stories or, you know, I used to hear stories your dad would tell or your mom would tell and you know, even Mark and it, and I, that, that's part of the joys I get out of this business is that these are family stories mostly they're not corporate stories they're not this they're, they're family stories they're human stories and you know and it's that's true no, when I, we put, I wouldn't want to talk about my corporate stories I might get uh, I might get sued or something no <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, trust me it's like you know and it's it's funny because it's like when we when Hope and I decided to to start on this venture you know she she came to me with the idea and all this and she says look but let's just focus on you know like the the like the pioneers and the women that whose stories aren't really told as as often or as well and you know don't have all the press and I was like yeah it's like and I know a lot of those um you know or it's like Katie Murphy is going to be on a future show soon as well and she's got another one of those pioneering uh women that I you know I respect a great deal and but it seemed like Sonoma County in in particular but in and somewhat in Napa really women did lead the way in a lot of you know Sonoma County was like first to hire a number of women winemakers and I was wondering if you could share just some of the earlier pioneering women you know in the business both in Napa and Sonoma that you worked with or that you knew of well of course Marion Graff you know she was as far as I know the the first and then Zelma Long and I have been you know first uh you know, we just, we did stuff, you know, in the wine industry together, and now we're, we're pretty good friends. In fact, she gave me my last client, um, Lowell Justa from South Africa. She's made sure we met each other, and he's doing a cool project now that I'm in, in uh, Custom Crush in Napa. He did, 
he's uh, we're making wine up in Napa and he's shipping the wine in barrel down to um, his little shop in La Jolla and selling it by the glass or by the growler and not, not doing any bottling. And it's quite the project. He, I, I really, I, he's sending like 50 to 60 barrels a year now, even with COVID and the whole shop. So uh, that's been a, I mean, wow. it's always good to get to know a lot of people, but you know, it's funny cause down in, um, down in San Inez, you know, I know my, I had a couple of women who came up through the Firestone ranks and became, you know, winemakers, Clarissa and um, Lane Tanner. And, and then um, up here though, it's funny that with the winemaker room at Laird where I do custom crush now and most of the people in the winemaker room are women doing um, like Celia Welsh and, and um, Carrie Auringer and, and I mean, they're just, you know, they're just tons of, they're excellent, excellent women. We all just have a great time up there, either avoiding each other or talking a lot, <laughs> <laughs> depending on how busy everybody is. Oh, but no, it, uh, so if a woman wants to come up to the winemaking ranks, what advice do you have for her? Well, it's best if you have a degree from one of the, you know, the three, the three sort of the Fresno, the Davis, or the um, Cal Poly. Though now, you know, the JC, Sonoma State are really have a lot of great courses. And, and I think Sonoma State has been concentrating more on the wine business side yep. of it. Um, but it's good if you start out with a degree, just so you feel more valid yourself so that you're not, um, you know, don't get that fraud complex. Because even, even with all my experience and everything, the first five or six years that I was a winemaker were, were tough on my, you know, kind of fraud complex index, you know, thinking, gosh, he could hire anybody, you know, how, what, you know, maybe I'm not worthy, <laughs> even though I was doing all the work and I was successful, and I, but it's, it's a common thing. So I think it's a good idea to have that degree and then work in the, work in the field for a couple of years. And, and if you can, you know, go to tasting groups and, and form your own, your own identity as to what you think before you go in and, and just try and imitate somebody else. It's great to have a mentor, but Andre Chelichev, for instance, he didn't really, except for kind of cleaning wines up and doctoring them, he didn't try and lead my palate. And, you know, I, like I tried doing some, uh, I, we used to, the way we used to make Chardonnays, we would crush into a tank and then we would press it off. Um, and then we would uh, clean it up and then we would ferment it. And then we would clean it up again and then we put it to barrel for aging. And that's a lot of cleaning up, right? So um, I went, I'd go around and visit other wineries and I finally figured out that you could do whole cluster pressing and have everything come out pretty clean. And then you could do barrel fermentation, but I had to buy a, oh, I tried all kinds of things to try and do barrel fermentation at a low temperature. But we were doing non-alcoholic beer in the winery through some of that, and that really raised the temperature in the whole winery. So I had to buy a cold box container, you know, a used one, and and throw the barrels in there, which was actually really dangerous when I look back on it. But um, nobody was watching, so I, I and it made really good wine. So then I could get Brooks to buy me some refrigeration equipment for one of the rooms. But it was just, you know, you have to be prepared for long hours, hard work, stomping through vineyards and, and uh, volunteering for all the extra stuff that you need to do. And, and um, 
you know, that's how you get into the wine industry. <laughs> and hopefully you're what, 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 One of the questions that I love to ask is, is you know, you, you have such a breadth of experience in the business, but is there anything you have left to do that you really want to do that you haven't done yet? No, you know, that this project, my, my Huda Al Vineyard project, just to make sure that my parents and my brother's grapes got the most, the, the best shot they possibly could. That, that was, you know, something I really wanted to do. And of course, every year is, is different. And thank God we didn't actually crush last year, um, mostly due to, you know, financial things after my dad died, we just tie up the cash. But, um, but we really, you know, because that was, now I'm going through all these experiments. I mean, I think the, the most important thing is to, is to just keep trying things, you know, and just keep learning things. It's like because of the smoke and everything last year, there are quite a few, I mean, some of my wines got off almost scot-free and some of them I used, you know, some products that I had tried like phenol-free in mm -hmm. 17 that I felt really good about. I'm sure I knocked down some smoke with those, but I am going to have to run some things through um, both Contech and through um, VA filtrations machine. I mean, who knows? This could be the new normal. You have to really adapt. You have to learn, you know, what these methods do, how they, how the wine takes it, you know, what you can do afterwards to rebuild the structure and the integrity. You know, how long does that take? Oh my word! You know, you get one crush a year, and it's yeah. so busy. You have to have a lot of plans out there. But new vineyards, I love when people put in new vineyards. There's so much, there's so much promise. There's so much, you know, potential to start new projects. But I love history. So I love the history of projects, the history of the people making the wine. I worked with Randy Lewis when I first started out, you know, at Davis and I mean at Davis at, at Laird in Napa, because um, he had one of the best track records ever. I was so lucky to get the experience to work with with him and his wines. Then he got too big for Laird and decided to move. And I already had a couple of clients. I had Lavendi and Nelson and was just starting with Hill Family about that time. So, and almost all my clients I've had for, you know, for like 20, not quite 20, but 18 to yeah. years. I mean, it's just a long time just because I'm willing to adapt. In fact, I, I love the passion and the commitment that family operations have even if they're dysfunctional sometimes, you know, it's still, they care, they care what happens. They're willing to put out their own sweat and tears and anxiety to make things work. So I love it. it, it, it you're putting the fun back in dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, during harvest, you know, the, I have grapefruit vineyards a lot. Of, you know, I don't have any in Russian river. I do have one in Sebastopol, but, um, but I still put like, I don't know, 15,000 miles on my car between August and, and Thanksgiving, you know, visiting vineyards, getting out there. Yeah. I eat like three pounds of grapes a day, I think. And so I don't lose any weight because I'm like eating and walking and eating and walking. It's like constant snacking, you know, but, but there's so many decisions that have to be made that are long-term and until you go out there and, and um, get your baggie samples and, and try, you know, what does that grape at the back of the cluster taste like? What is that? Grape at the front of the cluster was what about that one that's a little shriveled? What about that one that looks like it's too fat? What about the ones at the end of the vine? What about the ones in the head of the vine? All those, you know, they all have little characteristics that you're trying to get 
sort of pulled together uh, in your head as a, as a batch. And you know, what can we do? Should we cut those off? Should we open the clusters up? So there are all these questions every year and you can only get answers by walking up and down and driving and slamming the door and jumping out. I wish there was a way to bottle your excitement and, and, and give it to other people because you have such joy for what you do. And you know, that's, one of the, that's one of the contagious things that I always found about being, you know, being around you and all that. It's like, yeah, and it, I, we really could talk for hours uh, on all, all sorts of things, uh, historical or wine related. And I, I, I look forward to actually having, you know, a few bottles of wine with you and Mark, uh, you know, out, out at the house or at the, at the swimming hole down, the, down by the river. Uh, if oh, there that's is true. Any, We're up on the hill. Yeah. Or if there's any, yeah, if there's any water left in the river this year, but. Yeah, really. <laughs> So as um, our parting thought, Allison, can you give us just a little bit of, uh, you know, a little tip that we can take away with us today about your philosophy of life, something that will bring the same joy that you have, your effervescence, to our, our day today? Oh, my. Um, actually, I go up and down a lot. I'm inspired by other people a lot. So I'd, I'd say one of the important things is, is to have things like gardening and um exercise like i love power walking and and just just to clear your head and just have that unimpeded time to just things sort sort themselves almost when you do those things and then to come home and have you know a, a loving family who enjoys your cooking and and a glass of wine it's i don't know it's 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 that balance it's about if you can find balance in your life and and figure out what what areas are not quite as balanced and not give up on those. It's, but it is hard. I mean, these are these are hard times. And I, I watch the young people, you know, whose lives are, they had a kind of a wasted year last year in a way. And but here I I was working harder than ever, so it's hard for me to be sympathetic. <laughs> I can watch them, but but oh my word! And I'm gonna. It takes a lot of patience and a lot of, you know, perseverance and some resilience to get through a year like that. But luckily i'm i'm a you know and being a winemaker i'm an important person in our in our world up here and so um i was able to work every day no one ever shut me down so um that's important to me too i just i'm i'll die in harness i think <laughs> but no nothing in particular i can't think of anything in particular that's a tip no well, every everything that you've shared in the last 45 minutes is is a, is is a nugget of wisdom and, and great fun um, it, I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like so happy that we, that we actually, you know, captured all this. I, I really hope your oral history has been captured somewhere, like at the wine library or something, because you do, you're like one of those people that, 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 that has so much, uh, you know, knowledge of, of this business that needs to be captured. And, uh, you know, I, and I'm just like privileged to have, you know, 40 minutes of it now on film that we could, you know, Put up, put up uh, in perpetuity, and one of the things too, and I always be, appreciate the wine sales part of this. Um, if any of the people that view this video want to purchase your wines or wines that are made by you, we'll put the links into uh, you know onto uh, Hope's website, uh, womenwhomakeuswine.tv, I believe. Is there uh, the best place to get your wines? Would be my Romeo Vineyards, they have a tasting room. Crane Family is by appointment only. Hill Family has, you know, a website and a tasting room and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it's a, it's a 
good thing. I'm really not a salesperson and I, and I get very fed up very quickly with sales. So it's a, you know, <laughs> it's a good thing. We all have our things that we're better at. You know, Absolutely. It takes, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, but I think, you know, the sales part of it is definitely the hard part. And whenever I, you know, like I, I'm just starting out probably with a new family and their little project. And the reason is, is because they've got, you know, the thing, they've got their own vineyard, they've got family history, and they've got a son who is a, a handsome go-getter and is going to sell the hell out of their wine. So, you know, you need all three of those if you're going to start a project these days and people who just want a, a small vanity project, you know, that's not the way it's going. We need the story, we need the valid you know the valid family history and then you need somebody who wants to go out there and and you know change the world sell this wine you know it's it's so it's it's a it's it's a tough business it's a tough business i've always tried to be the handsome go-getter it hasn't really worked out for me Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you both so much. And I'm glad that I found you. This is the, the card for Romeo. And um, we'll definitely try and get right. people to learn more about where they can buy your delicious wine. And you are just fantastic, Alison Duran. We're thrilled to have had you on the Women Who Make Us Wine Show. And thank you to my co-host, Jim Morris. You are fantastic. You are truly the wine guy. So thank you both for this. And we will bring you another episode in a couple of weeks on Facebook Live and some other platforms that we're going to start streamyarding. So I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of Incandescent. Thank you, Alison. Thank you, Jim. Stay safe.